Luke's Gospel, chapter 20, and the verse 34. Jesus answering said unto them, The children of this world marry and are given in marriage, but they which shall be accounted worthy to obtain that world and the resurrection from the dead, neither marry nor are given in marriage, neither can they die any more. For they are equal unto the angels and are the children of God being the children of the resurrection. The resurrection from the dead. That's our subject this evening, the resurrection from the dead. The Lord Jesus proclaimed the resurrection from the dead. It is a fundamental of the Christian faith, a very important fundamental of the faith. It's so fundamental that the earliest Christian creed, which we call the Apostles' Creed, it has 18 articles or 18 lines of confession. And the 17th is, I believe in the resurrection of the body. We confess that as Christians. That's so important. That's so vital. The resurrection of the dead. Now when the Lord proclaims this doctrine, as he does here to the Sadducees, he's not proclaiming something that is new. He's not giving a new revelation. He's not giving this for the first time. It's not a New Testament revelation, the doctrine from the dead. He's defending an ancient and a very old doctrine. A doctrine that is contained also in the Old Testament scriptures. He is telling us of something that has been anciently believed by the people of God. The doctrine of the resurrection of the dead is an actual fact as old as the Garden of Eden. It's as old as the fall. It was revealed as early as that. Whenever God said to sinners and to mankind, dust thou art, to dust thou shalt return, he also said that he would defeat the devil, bruise his head, undo, reverse his work, and bring eternal life to the saved of the human race. And that eternal life assumes a resurrection from the dead. Mankind is body and soul. And you will not have eternal life without your body. It's not natural for the soul to be without the body. It's not the purpose of God that the saved shall exist as bodiless and that their souls alone shall subsist in the heavenly realm. No, they are not perfect. They are not complete as disembodied. God created man, body and soul. And man redeemed must be redeemed and restored as body and soul. So death has to be reversed. And the resurrection of the dead is essential 
It's fundamental. And as I say, it, it is always believed by the people of God from the Garden of Eden, from the martyrdom of Abel. It was always a confession of the faith. And all believers assumed this. And throughout the Old Testament scriptures, while we read of this doctrine, it is more often assumed than taught. It's so fundamental. It's so certain in the minds of the people of God that it hardly needs to be referred to in the scriptures. They just lived in the light of it. They knew that there was a resurrection from the dead. I want to turn you again to Hebrews chapter 11. Now we have covered Hebrews chapter 11 in our studies through Hebrews and we are in chapter 12, as you know. But I want to bring you back to verse 35 in Hebrews chapter 11. Were these Old Testament saints had a conviction about the resurrection of the dead? Verse 35, women received their dead raised to life again, and others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. So you see, these saints who were tortured, who were stoned, who were sawn asunder, who were martyred, and who did not deliver themselves by denying the Lord? Why did they not deliver themselves? Why did they willingly die? Why were they even preferred that their body be consumed by the flames and burnt to ashes? They did it for a better resurrection. They did it in the knowledge of the resurrection from the dead. That is what kept them through all the trials until the end. They could have denied the Lord. They could have turned. But they didn't. Because they wanted the eternal life. And to the eternal life, there is a necessity of the resurrection from the dead. And so they believed in that. And they looked to that. And they were not afraid to offer their bodies unto death. In the knowledge of that. That's why they endured. So they believed obviously this doctrine in the Old Testament. These are Old Testament saints. As I said, for the most part it is assumed in the Old Testament. But they believed it. It was certain in their minds and hearts. They knew that they would be raised again. Now this word better, better resurrection, that got me thinking. Why would Paul use that word? Why does he not just say that they might attain the resurrection? Why does he have to use the word better? A better resurrection. There's not one redundant or vain word in Holy Scripture. Every word is very important. Every word has to be studied. Every word has to be examined. And this word better, we have to think about. What, what did he mean? When he said a better resurrection. Well he could mean. This is possible. He could mean that better than saving your life by denying the Lord. They could have lived on. They didn't have to die. They could have said something blasphemous against the Lord. And they might have lived. 
But what kind of life would that be? A life where they'd feel miserable. A life where the conscience would be stained. No, they'd rather have a better, a better life. They'd rather have a resurrection life. Perhaps it means that. Comparing the resurrection with the life of misery, having denied the Lord. But I don't think that's, that's what they mean here. I don't think that's what Paul is saying here. Of course, he does not just mean better. He means best. The best resurrection. Better, you see, implies a less better. Better implies a worse resurrection. There's a worse or a less better resurrection. There's a contrast and there's a comparison. I could have this resurrection, but better to have this resurrection. A better resurrection. And if you look at the text, Paul actually talks about a couple of resurrections here, because what does he say? Women received their dead raised to life again. Isn't that resurrection? In the Old Testament we read about that. The widow of Zarephath, her child was raised by Elijah. And then there was the Shunammite woman, you remember Elisha, raised her child. They were resurrections, were they not? Indeed they were. But neither of them were the better resurrection. None of them. In actual fact, they're really resuscitations. Miraculous resuscitations. They truly died. They truly were raised. Resuscitations belong beyond biology, beyond science, beyond doctors and nurses, even modern technology. And the hospitals can resuscitate within a minute or two, perhaps, of apparent death, get the heart started again. But that's all. Just they need that minute, that two or three minutes to do it. These people were well dead. They were true resurrections in the sense of real resuscitation, back from the dead. They were miraculous. But it was not resurrection life. It was not the better resurrection. Because they still were sinners. They still got sick. They still got cancer. They still got diseases. And they died again. They died again. It wasn't the better resurrection. It was a resuscitation. It was a resurrection, but not the better, not the resurrection that Jesus is talking about, not the resurrection at the last day. It's nothing like that. These children were resurrected, and they were still sinners. And you went and looked at them, and none of them looked like an angel. None of them were sinless. None of them were as holy as the angels. It wasn't the better resurrection. And Jesus raised people from the dead, and one was a few hours dead and one was a whole day dead on the way to the grave and one was already in the grave four days dead and stinking and Jesus resuscitated them and even reversed the corruption and raised them up but it wasn't the better resurrection because Lazarus was still a sinner and he still died again another day and was nothing like the holy angels so, this is the better resurrection. There is also a hint here, perhaps, that there is a terrible and awful resurrection. 
as indeed there is. Because the Bible teaches us that. This resurrection, this better resurrection, is a resurrection unto life. It's a resurrection unto real life, eternal life, God-glorifying life, life that knows the glory of God, life that participates in the glory of God, real life, wonderful life, endless, boundless, glorious life. But there's also a resurrection unto damnation. And that's the worst resurrection. And that's the resurrection apostates have. And those who turn their back to Jesus Christ. And those who deny the faith. And those who cease their resistance against sin. The resurrection unto damnation. And these people wouldn't deny the faith. So that they may have the better resurrection. And not that fearful, horrible resurrection of the damned. Jesus says, marvel not at this. The hour is coming when everybody's in the graves and they're going to hear my voice. They that have done good, who have not denied the faith, who have not turned away from the gospel, they will be raised unto the resurrection of life. But they that have done evil, Unto the resurrection of damnation. So you see there are two resurrections there. There's the better. And there's the horrid. And the terrible. And the fearful. And the dark. And the death. Resurrection that is death. And doom and despair. And these people that died. They wanted the better. Died in faith. The martyrs knew there was a difference. And they would not give up the better resurrection for a little longer day on earth. They wouldn't do it. That's how important it was to them. You know, the world cannot accept the doctrine of resurrection, sadly. If there's one thing the world cannot accept, why it rejects all that is miraculous, it certainly doesn't have the time of day for the idea of the resurrection of the dead. It abhors that doctrine. A resurrection unto life, they reject. The resurrection unto damnation, they not only reject it, but they reject it as an abominable thing and don't want to know about it. And our modern society has trends at times of death and in the treatment of the dead that shows their rejection of this doctrine. We have to be alarmed at the modern trends of treating the dead congregation. And we have to know that there's something satanic, something devilish about it, something that is attacking the truth of God, as the devil always does. Every doctrine, and the doctrine of the resurrection of the dead, satanic Scorn is poured upon it. I speak of cremation and other irreverent forms of disposal of the dead. And there are new forms. There is composting, human composting. Other forms of dealing with the bodies are, are multiplying and growing. There is a form that is called 
aquamation. Special tubes and tanks are built to bring in special chemicals and fluids so that the human body is quickly broken down into fluid. And the bones crushed to powder and all that is left is fluid and it's flushed down the sewage. Is there ever a greater disrespect for the dead than this? The burning of the bodies of the dead is pagan. In the belief that the soul was free of the body, the soul is better without the body, and the soul to be free of the body, the body has to be destroyed, utterly destroyed, utterly consumed, literally to smoke and ashes. That's not Christian doctrine. God has created us to be joined to a body. It is not natural. It is not biblical. It is not of God that we should be disembodied. And the souls of the births of just men that are in heaven made perfect are only temporarily disembodied. And they know they're not complete. And the Christian church has taught this. But we have always had the hope of the resurrection from the dead when our bodies shall be joined again to our souls. And so the Christian church buries like a seed in the ground in the sure and certain hope of the resurrection of the dead. We bury because that's what the Bible teaches. Burial is reverent. Burial anticipates a rising again, something better, something greater growing up. You see, the human body, with the spirit separate from it, is like a seed. That's what the Bible says. It's sown. When you bury, you sow the seed. Paul said it's sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown. Do you see how often he uses that verb? The body is sown. Sown in the weakness. Sown in the corruption. Sown in the death into the ground. And raised again. A spiritual body. A powerful body. An honourable body. An incorruptible body. You see, when you plant a little seed in the ground, it comes up better. It comes up a beautiful flower. Or a lovely, wholesome vegetable that is so useful. Or a tree... A great tree, a great fruit-bearing tree, it always comes up something better, something more glorious. And that's the better resurrection. It's sown in the corruption and all that horribleness of the curse. It's sown in all of that weakness. But in the grace and power of God, it is raised up glorious. So glorious. As Jesus said, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone, but if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. 
And that's literally the resurrection of Christ. He died, he was sown, he came forth glorious, and he didn't come forth alone. He comes forth with all his resurrected dead in union to him. It's glorious. This is the better resurrection. As the angels. They'll be like the angels. And that's why Christ's resurrected body was not recognized at times. Because there was some difference. He was changed somewhat. He could go through material. He could go through walls, locked doors. He could appear and disappear. He had the body for the new heavens and the new earth. He had the body for the world to come. Which this better resurrection gives to us as well. A body that we have no idea of. Of the things that it can do. In the new time space. Of the new heavens and the new earth. It's the better resurrection that brings that. And these who died in the faith. Did not want to sacrifice that. In turning away from Christ. Now there are modernists who deny this. And there were modernists in the days of the Lord Jesus, and those modernists were called the Sadducees. And the Sadducees rejected the Bible. They didn't accept the Old Testament scriptures. They acknowledged somewhat parts of the laws of Moses. Moses wrote to us. That's all they recognized. A bit of Moses, a bit of the Torah. They didn't believe in spirits. They didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead. They didn't believe in miracles. They were the rationalists. They believed in reason. They believed in science. They believed in the enlightenment of man and in the philosophies of the world. Christ had his modernists to contend with, even as we do. Materialists who say there's only what you see, there's only what you can analyze in the laboratory, there's only what you can measure or weigh or somehow distinguish with science. That's all there is. That's not all there is. There is the invisible world that is far more awesome and powerful even than the material world. So we're in the age of enlightenment, the age of reason, the age of science, where sinners mock this doctrine. And they did in Bible times too. You remember Paul, he preached the resurrection of the dead. Whenever he came to that doctrine, they stopped him, they laughed their heads off, they mocked him. That ended the sermon. That stopped the meeting. Just the mention of the resurrection from the dead. It's unacceptable with man. It's impossible. And the Sadducees, they were like that, you see. They rejected it. But they are the terrors of Satan. They think to bewilder Christ and to confound him with this scenario. Whether it's a real scenario or an invented one, this woman who has seven husbands and children to none of them, and they're all raised from the dead, and the Sadducees, as the smart alecks as they are, who is the real husband and who does she belong to? So they think they're smart. Matthew and Mark, they record the story also. And in Matthew and Mark, they, they are rebuked by the Lord. He says, you err. You don't know the Bible because you reject the Bible. You don't want to know the Bible. You err because you depart from the scriptures 
That's what happens when you depart from the Scriptures, you err. And error is harmful and dangerous and soul-destroying and damning. They deny the power of God. That God can do the miracles as he created the world. He can raise the dead. So they, they denied all of this. And the Lord told them to where they erred and what was the problem in their hearts. The denial of God, the denial of the word. Unbelief, unbelief. Not believing God, but calling God a liar. Unbelief. He told them so. But as we look at Christ's answer here, I want you to notice two things at least here before we conclude, before we close. In his answer to the Sadducees, the Lord says that there are two words. Two words. Verse 34 Jesus answering said unto them, The children of this world, there's this world, in this world they marry, they're given in marriage, but they that shall be accounted worthy to obtain that world. There's another world. There's a better world. There's an eternal world. There's a new heavens and a new earth, a new cosmos that God is bringing his people to there are these two worlds. And they're very different. And this present world just needs this carnal material body. And we eat and we drink and we marry and we procreate and we have children. So that this world may expand and the population may grow. And there will be a plenty of people for the new cosmos through the procreation that has gone on in this world. This world is the step into the next world. There has to be men and women made and multiplied in this world in order to inhabit the next world. So this is a world of procreation, a world of marrying, a world of having children, a world of the population growing, many of whom Christ has bought with his blood. So there's a world to come, a world that has been given in the grace of God and brought to us in the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. So there's that world and there's this world. Two different worlds. We have to keep that in mind. And the better resurrection introduces the saved humanity into the new world. But then the second thing is that not all enjoy that new world. The Lord makes this very clear. We have to carefully look at his words. What does he say? The children of this world marry and are given in marriage, but they which shall be accounted worthy to obtain that world. Do you see how he carefully says it? You see, the Sadducees, they have talked about seven men and one woman. And in the resurrection assumed that they would all be raised together. They didn't believe that, of course. But in the scenario, they're saying this, they'll all be raised together, these seven men, this one woman. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Who are these eight people? Are they Sadducees like themselves? Are they unbelievers? Are they Christ rejectors? These eight people, these seven brethren, this woman, who had no children together in their marriages, are they saved? 
Or are they like these Sadducees, unbelievers, rejectors of the truth of God, of the Bible, of the word of God, and of the power of God, but unbelievers? And that's why the Lord Jesus says, he doesn't say they, even those eight people, he doesn't say that. He says, they who are accounted worthy to obtain that world will be raised to life. So not everybody is raised to this life. Not everybody is raised to this better resurrection. Not everybody is worthy to obtain the world that is to come. The Lord Jesus makes it so clear, doesn't he? The unworthy worldlings do not attain it, but the worthy saints. Do you see what the Lord calls them? They that are worthy. Now they're not worthy in themselves. They know that, but he has made them worthy in his grace. And he has made them worthy in the salvation that he's brought to them and the sanctifying grace that he's given to them and in the glorification that he presents to them at the last day, worthy through his grace, worthy through his blood, worthy by his death, made worthy by grace. As they have believed the Bible and as they believed the Lord and trusted in the Lord, they are worthy of that life. Because without faith it's impossible to please God. But they that have faith do please him and are worthy. Do you remember how the Lord said, there are a few names even in Sardis that haven't defiled their garments and they're going to walk with me in white. Because they are worthy. They are worthy. And those who deny Christ and turn away from Christ and stop resisting sin and stop fighting against sin and give themselves up to sin are not worthy. They have abandoned the hope. Only believers in Christ and followers of him can have the hope of obtaining the blessed resurrection of the blessed dead. So the ungodly have only the resurrection of the cursed dead. They don't inherit the new heavens and the new earth, sadly. Unspeakably sadly. They have surrendered all of that in their rejection of Christ and in their love for sin. They have chosen death and darkness and the immortality of despair, which the resurrection unto damnation shall bring them into. They'll be raised too. They'll have horrible forms, ugly forms, such as they deserve who have rejected the changing grace of God in their lives. Don't reject God's grace. Don't turn away from the transforming power of the gospel. You must be born again. And you must be washed of all your uncleanness by the blood of Jesus Christ. And you must undergo the sanctifying grace of the Holy Spirit and the glorifying power of Almighty God in the gospel. And so, come to Christ. So enough of this foolish talk, you Sadducees. 
how they eat will sort out their marital difficulties? That's not the question. That's not the question. How they'll sort out their marital difficulties in the new heavens and the new earth. That doesn't even arise. The question is, how did they live on the earth, those eight? How did those eight relate to God? Did those eight believe? Did those eight experience God's grace in their lives? Were those eight forgiven of their sins? Did they receive the hope of everlasting life in the gospel, those eight? Did those eight find grace? Did they die in faith, those eight? Did they die in union to Christ, those eight? Did they die justified and sanctified? Those are the important issues. And may it be the portion of all in this house that they have come to Christ and have the hope of the gospel by believing in him and in a true union with him who is the resurrection and the life. And because he lives, we who believe in him shall live also. To him be glory, with the Father and the Holy Spirit. Amen.